Travel Growth Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Travel Growth Podcast. I'm Tom McLaughlin, founder of SEO Travel, and this is where I speak to successful travel business leaders and dig into the successes, challenges, and learnings from their experiences over the years. So you, the listener, can take away actionable advice to enhance your own businesses and maybe even lives too. My guest today is Sam McManus. Sam is the founder of Yellowwood Adventures, who offer small group adventures to exceptional destinations, from far from places like Ethiopia and Mongolia to options closer to home like Spain and Romania. Sam is a true adventurer, and the very existence of the business is down to his desire to fuel his own boyhood dreams of exploring the world and indulging his passion for travel. This has led to many enchanting travel tales along the way, some of which he shares here, as well as inspiring Genesis story of a travel business which any budding travel entrepreneur would do well to listen to. There's nothing clever or strategic that got this business off the ground, and I'm sure Sam wouldn't mind me saying that, just a true passion for what he was doing and a strong desire to learn along the way. And learn he has, and he shares some of the fantastic lessons in this conversation from things he's picked up on the journey whether it's the importance of working with and supporting local communities and putting sustainability at the core of everything they do, or how crowdfunding has played a role in Sam's desire to scale the business more recently. He also discusses how partnerships have helped drive the business forward, and he outlines how he's currently working on writing a book to tell the story of his travels and growing the business, inspired by other very successful travel entrepreneurs who have done the same. The conversation is packed with value on this and much more besides, and all from a man who will be able to tell immediately is incredibly passionate about what he does. And for me, that was the main takeaway from this one, as that passion has clearly driven Sam to where he is today, and will no doubt take him a lot further in the coming months and years. I challenge you not to be inspired by this one. Please enjoy me talking to Sam McManus. Sam, hi, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Tom. Very, very happy to be here. Good stuff. Really looking forward to talking to you. I know about many of your adventures from listening and reading about, about things already. Uh, so, yeah, looking to find more about Yellowwood, how you've started it, your journey to, to where you are today, and uh, hopefully giving something really interesting and some takeaways for, for the people listening. Excellent. So I thought I would kick off kind of a, a bit from left field with the Shaolin Monastery and... Maybe just going. Maybe could you tell us a little bit more about well, like when that was and how how you, how it came about at that experience? Um, that's funny you you, you picked that out. So it's a, it, it's a very nice segue into sort of how I discovered travelling, which was actually by accident, um, and and sort of how my passion for it really came about because I had a very um, uh, in inverted commas, normal upbringing in, in Kent in, in the south of England. I um, grew up and went to school and um, finished school at the age of 18. And I think I'd probably been on a couple of family holidays to Greece and visited some cousins in America. So I actually had a very sheltered upbringing and um, hadn't really had the opportunity or, or, or seen very much of the world. But I had a very strong interest in martial arts and um, had been uh, studying and, and training at weekends under a Shaolin martial artist. Um, 
in, in the town of Tunbridge Wells where I grew up. And so when I was 18, I just, I needed to do something and I'd already found school quite difficult. I didn't want to go straight to university. I, I wanted to do something exciting and adventurous, but it wasn't really technically traveling. It was more, oh, I want to pursue this, this passion of martial arts. And so I signed up um, to join a Shaolin monastery in Northern China for a year and saved up the money for the, for the fees to go and do that. And so, you know, fast forward to um, being in a monastery for four months, I did some fights and got pretty beaten up, as you can imagine. And then after four months, I was like, oh, you know what, this is not for me. I'm not going to be like uh, Uma Thurman from Kill Bill. <laughs> I've had enough. Um, and so the monastery, which was quite expensive at the time, um, refunded me sort of the money for the rest of the year. And then I was in northern China. I was 18 years old, never really. And that was obviously a massive eye opener because it was a very rural part of China. And I remember calling up my dad and saying, oh, it's not really working out. I don't think I'm going to stay. And his reaction was, oh, you're not coming home, are you? Because they're like, you got me out of the house. Um, and I was like, no, don't, no, don't worry. I guess I'll, I'll, guess I'll go traveling. And so I ended up going to Southeast Asia, um, which is now, you know, very uh, unexciting, like who hasn't been to Thailand and Laos. But for a young kid, he's never seen anything of the world. That was, for me was like completely amazing. And then I remember my dad, for my 19th birthday, my dad sent me a, um, a postcard with a very tongue-in-cheek joke in it that said, uh, happy 19th birthday, reminds me of when I was 19 and clam climbed Mount Everest, ha ha ha, obviously that's a joke. But to me, I was like, well, why don't I go to Mount Everest? There was no barriers to me. I had some money. I was just sort of floating around. I was in the northern jungles of, of Pai, of, of Thailand at that time. So I just spontaneously bought a flight via Bangladesh and then spent a month hiking in the Himalayas to Everest Base Camp. And this was, I'm 36 now, and I was 19 then. So this was before it would sort of become overrun and and very, very touristy, uh, like I've seen videos of, of, of it is now. For me, it was just an amazing adventure. And I'd never been in really mountains, let alone the biggest mountains in the world in the Himalayas. And I obviously met friends along the way and was taken in by Nepalese families and slept a night in a yak cheese factory and lived on dark bark as my money was starting to run out and just sp spent two nights with some friends uh, I'd met along the way and we, we slept outside in, in the mountain opposite called Kalapatur and I just remember the sky going completely purple and the sun as it was setting, obviously Everest is the last thing it hits and it just went a bright gold. And that moment just sort of changed my life forever. I just, everything from then on, every job I took, every, every decision I made was just seeing more of the world because I just could not believe what was out there. Yeah. And from, from a very sort of normal countryside so, so it was kind of like growing up in the shire of the lord of the rings to that sort of first taste of what the world has and you know i've been going ever since and i'm not running out of of, of a new and amazing experiences because yeah it's a big wide world out there yeah fantastic 
the um so you, so you yeah you had this you had this amazing experience i guess in the kind of tradition you know well in the sort of gap year sense of right i've i'm not i'm not ready to go straight to uni but then you came you came back and went and went to uni right and did did english was that kind of was that all set up before you went well when you went and did your traveling no, and I actually then took a second year out to go and live in some of the south of Spain. I was right. very, very idealistic when I was younger, um, and and that didn't wear off for a long time. I wanted to get back to nature, to older ways of living, and I had a sort of confused relationship with the modern world. And you know, I went and just I saved up some money in the UK, and then was, did what was called woofing at the time, which is where you can. Um, work for free on these Spanish farms and for food and board. And I started to learn Spanish and um, it was before, you know, and I did that for, for, for almost six months. And then, you know, some time starts to go by and then I'm like, well, I can't be a farm laborer for less of my life. And my grandfather had really introduced me to reading that, that first time I'd gone away. So I was really just loved books, um, history books, novels, and I was just reading more and more. And I didn't really have a plan of what I wanted to do. I just knew that if I was going to study anything, that's the only thing I, I would study. So I went back to the UK and, and got a place at Bath um, uh, University to study English literature. But I only lasted a year doing that in the UK before I talked my way onto the exchange program right. that they had at a university in Japan. So I then spent my second year living in Japan. Uh, in, a, in the southern island of Kyushu, studying Japanese, which had nothing to do with English literature. I said, well, if I can uh, study Japanese, then maybe I could uh, read the Japanese literature and compare it with English literature. And then the university was like, oh, he just wants to go. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it was just, as I said, you know, I just, everything I did was about travel. I came back, I finished university, and then I saved up and moved to South America and spent six months exploring South America and then lived for a year in Mexico, did the same, moved back to the UK, got a job and then moved to the Middle East and lived for two years in the Middle East. I was just obsessed with seeing the world. I just, yeah. I just loved doing it and it, I never got bored of it. And to fast forward, um, I sort of want to rush over that sort of thing. You know, I did six years of a corporate career, wasn't really enjoying it, learned a huge amount, learned some very important skills because with an English literature degree, you know, you don't have a foundation in business. And um, I went through, you know, I trained as a journalist and then moved into producing events and then moved into a sales capacity for data products and just learn how businesses work. Mm. But then when I was about 30, I just, the travel, it just wouldn't go away, that, that constant desire to see the world. And so I quit my job at the time and decided to found a travel company. Yeah, amazing. I, I love the... Uh, like you say, the the sort of idea, you know, you say idealistic way of going about things. I, I think uh, so often you hear the stories of people who have, you know, they have that that gap year that they go and travel and they absolutely love it, but then they sort of just fall back into the standard route, and it's like then they get to uni and then they just slip back into that career route. So it's nice and refreshing to hear you that you're like you carried bouncing, carried on bouncing around. Um, and obviously, it's to, you know, like you say, it's pushed you to doing the thing that you you really want to do, no matter how much you 
or society or life kind of tried to get you back into the you know the usual the usual yeah and it certainly did don't you know I to be honest I just didn't have a choice I couldn't you know I was just seeing my friends effortly scaling the the corporate ladder in in whatever their professions were or whatever those industries were and it just was not working for me you know I was just not just not built for that and was constantly I was not unsuccessful because I always picked jobs that involved travel. So I was always doing a lot of business trips to Africa and the Middle East, for example. And I loved living in the Middle East because I got to travel all around Saudi Arabia and Oman and all of these amazing, interesting places. And I was very good at that. You know, I'm a self-starter. I would just go out, shake a few hands and, you know, you would, you know, business would happen if you, you know, you just go and sit down and you're going to sell something eventually. Um, but I just couldn't sort of, like you said, I just couldn't sit back and then just go with it because it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Just to, so to delve into like a couple of those things you did along the way then. So did you say your first kind of job then out of, out of uni was a a financial journalist? Was that, was that what you did? Yeah. So I, I moved to, as I said, I wasn't done with, with traveling after university and I moved to, um, after six months of traveling around in South America, I, I lived in Mexico on the beach for a year in uh, the Pacific coast called Puerto Escondido, which is a famous surf town. I was just teaching English. And then, you know, time starts to go by pretty quickly. And then that's similar to the feeling of, of when I was in Spain. I was like, well, look, I've got a fantastic life here. I'm surfing all the time. Um, my Spanish is, is getting fluent. But I'm teaching English at a university. Like, I'm earning pesos. You can't. You know, you could just get you could get stuck here. You know, you get a girlfriend, and then you know you might have a family, and then what? You're going to be an English teacher for the rest of your life. I was definitely ambitious. I just didn't know where to take it. So I moved back to the UK, and just like most people do, um, fell into a job, which at the time was with a financial media company called Euromoney because of my English literature degree, and um, I trained for a year as a financial journalist, as you as you rightly said. And then moved into, um, it wasn't, journalism was quite a calling, it wasn't mine. And I took that and then moved into producing international events and then worked for another events company, um, a corporate financial media events company called Informer in Dubai for another two years. Again, producing events all around um, the Middle East. And that really put me in good stead because you learn about sales and marketing and content. And when I look at how I've set up Yellowwood Adventures, it's more of an events business than a travel company. And I've sort of built it as such. Yes, we do do bespoke tailored trips, but mostly I've created set itineraries for, I've gone and done a research trip in a country and, and met local guides and partners. And I've seen an itinerary that I think could be great. And it's normally about nine days, sometimes it's two weeks. And then that's an event. It's instead of the events I was producing before, which was two or three days, this is a nine day event or it's a 12 day event. And it's a, you buy a ticket or you don't buy a ticket. So they're group adventures, the products are set. Yeah. And I like that idea of, of you get something and you by trial and error, you, you create something and it's, it's, it's good. And then people can use that knowledge that you've, you've taken the time to research the country and then purchase that product, which in our case is 
group travel in, in small group adventures. And, and what do you think the kind of advantages and disadvantages of doing that? You mentioned obviously like this, the, the bespoke route kind of how, how do you weigh those two things up? Well, they're very, they're very, very different. I mean, they're, they're almost completely two separate businesses in a way. Um, with with bespoke travel for the for the client, the cost is much, much higher, because especially for the the type of frontier markets that I've always been interested in, the types of countries we go to, Ethiopia, Kyrgyzstan, Mongolia, Lebanon, you're going to need private transport to to get around. So you have to cover that cost yourself. You have to cover the cost of um, us um, organizing and and taking the time to liaise with you and our partners on the ground for the trip that you want to do you know there's a cost that comes into that so the cost is much much higher and then of course you're going by yourself or if you've got a friend or a partner you're limited to the travel experience and who you're going with whereas if you buy an off the peg group tour you're traveling with new people and then the, the cost of a lot of that service is spread across the group. So the cost of transportation, the cost of the local guides, the cost of the Yellowwood guide, if we're doing a, a hiking trek and we need to send an internationally qualified mountain leader, is spread across the, the group. So it brings the, the cost right down. So they're, yeah, they're very, they're very, very different products, really. Mm-hmm. And do you think you'll always keep it that way? Do you think are you sort of much more favoured towards that kind of group, small group approach? Well, I think it's been, as a small company, it's been easier for us to start with that and then create something and then repeat it. I think there's huge demand for bespoke um, travel and looking at in the UK, Audley Travel, for example, is one certainly one of the largest and one of the most successful tra- companies and they only do bespoke tours. Mm-hmm. It tends to be a higher end. So there's definitely room for that. There's definitely uh, something I would like to expand in, but you need good people and you need experienced people. So those for me would be key hires that that I would be looking to to, to bring into the business to then build that that, that side of the company for, for us. Yeah, cool. Uh, so, so tell us, so you're, you're kind of at your consultancy job, you're getting paid well. What was the straw that broke the camel's back to be like, no, this isn't for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and start a travel business. So it's a good question. And I, so I've recently, I've always done a lot of writing and a lot of travel. I've got no imagination. So the only thing I'm good at writing is, is travel writing. And I've always enjoyed it. So I've, I've written a book actually of 15 years of my travel experiences. And I've got a very good editor in the UK, um, called Sarah Marshall, who works for the National, UK National Press Association, we've edited half of it. And it's been really interesting for me to go back and look at a lot of these stories. And because we're editing them, you know, Sarah's like, well, what were you feeling here? And what made you do this? And it's quite exhausting, as you can imagine. But <laughs> hopefully it'll make the book better. But I've gone back to a lot of these key moments and I think the key moment for, for, for the question you just asked was a, a business trip I was doing for the consultancy I was working for at the time in Cairo. And I'd gone back, I'd been to Cairo three times already for, for work trips. And I'd just gone back and I'd, life's funny and you know there's a lot of things going on in our subconscious, but I just remember going to Cairo Museum and, and seeing like the beautiful ancient sarcophagus sarcophagi and, and the statues 
And I, t- I just, I'd done a week of business meetings and talking about finance and all of this stuff. And I just went to this museum and just looked at the history and the culture. And Egypt's a country I really love. And we, we haven't opened tours there yet, but I really would love to. And I just, I just, it just hit me. I was like, you're in the wrong business. What are you doing? I was single. I was 30 or 31. I wasn't happy in my job. And I was just had a moment of, what have you got to lose? You know, you can, and I, I don't think, although I, as you say, I was, you know, I was technically successful. I was, I was earning money in, in a, a, a decent, secure job. I, I wasn't happy at all. And I was very, I was the opposite. I was actually very, very unhappy. And I just needed, I didn't know where I wanted to go, but I just had a realization in that moment that there's something, you know, seeing all of that history that goes back thousands of years, you know, your life is finite. And I just had a moment of just take a chance. And for me, that chance was, I just had to close the door of what I was doing. And I didn't know what other door would open, but something has to, you know, something, something has to happen. So in that moment, I just made the decision to quit my job with no plan of what to do. And then necessity being the mother of invention in the week that I closed it, I just said, well, you know you love traveling, so just start a travel company. And that's that's what happened. And then then it gets weird because then I went to Ethiopia for three months when I'd never been to Ethiopia before and, and decided to start the company there. But I think I went there as more also as a very sort of cathartic experience because I just wanted to get back to just out of the corporate world. I wanted to get back into nature and somewhere wild and just spend time in mountains and with people who lived in in traditional ways and I certainly got that and then bucket buckets loads more yeah. a lot of unforeseen adventures as well yeah why why was it Ethiopia was that just a sort of stick a pin in a map and see where you land or was there someone recommending it what where well I'd say like 95 percent of the adventures I've embarked upon or, or countries I've chosen they all came from books and Iran, you know, I've read about Freya Stark, who's a famous explorer, and she went up to explore the, the Assassin's Castles and the Albor's Mountains. And I just read a lot, especially travel writing. And I'd read a um, travel book by Paul Threw, who's a um, famous travel writer, the father of the famous documentary filmmaker Louis Threw. And he wrote a book called Dark Star Safari when he was in... He's 60s, just a white man, and he just decided to travel by himself from Cairo to Cape Town, down the east coast of Africa. And it's a a fantastic book. But I just remember reading about Ethiopia, and like many people, I had no idea about the country at all. Like many people now who who haven't been there or read about it, all they know is, oh, wasn't there a famine there, and Ob Gelgoth was involved for some reason, and that's, that's all they've got. Um, but I just remember reading these descriptions of these sort of high tablelands and filled with eucalyptus trees and ancient rock churches. And I was just, it was a very unexpected chapter of this book and it just always stuck with me. And then I don't know how the mind works, but somehow I just decided to go there and, and, and did. I was, I was on a plane within a couple of weeks, I think. Nice. And what was the vision when you were like starting the company was it was it kind of like oh i want to set a thing up and here's how it's gonna 
here's how I'm going to build it? Or was it literally like, right, I'm just going to set a website up and put a destination on it? Kind of what was the like, what, what was the, what was the vision you had? And then what were the initial steps that you took to, to like turn it into a real thing? I think um, I was, I knew I wanted to do the kind of travel that was taking people to play. Cause I had an experience when I went um, towards the tail end of that corporate job. I, I sort of had, did a desperate grab to sort of get back a, a previous part of my life. And um, I went back to Nepal for three weeks with my girlfriend at the time to not go back to Everest Base Camp, but to do the Annapurna circuit because I was sort of grabbing for that person I'd used to be and those experiences. And I was like, well, Nepal started it all. Let's go back to Nepal. And I went back and the Annapurna circuit for me was obviously in the Himalayas and it's beautiful, but it was quite anticlimactic because it had become quite touristy and it had become uh, sort of like a Machu Picchu where there was, it was very popular. The guest houses had become very vanilla and sort of a bit money grabby. And people were like, would you like pasta or pizza? And I was like, wait a minute. I thought, where's the dull part? You know, I thought I was in Nepal and it, it was a very ju juxtaposed, uncomfortable sort of feeling. And it just ugh, it didn't really do what I wanted it to do. And I felt kind of a stupid that, I'd gone somewhere where it was just full of Americans and Australians and I'd gone somewhere where there were so many other people because I like the wild corners of the world and I love the the untouched places because there's so many out there. And then like like other people, I just read about it in a magazine and gone there and it was just full of, of, of so many other tourists as well. So I wanted to choose somewhere off the beaten track, which is the whole ethos of, of Yellowwood and you know those are the, the destinations that we go to. So Ethiopia definitely fit that bill. And, and then as I started to, after this three-month initial research trip, I built a very basic website and bought some tents and started running some hiking trips there with local guides. And then moving on, every country I picked just fit. And it was for personal reasons as well. You know, I was just using Yellowwood in, in the early years as the ultimate excuse to live my boyhood fantasies and you know go yeah. ice climbing in uh, Kyrgyzstan to go and visit Persepolis in Iran and go to the assassins castles that I mentioned that, that Freya Stark had visited to follow in the footsteps of Wilfred Thesiger and go down and, and camp in the deserts of Oman to, to ride horses in Mongolia which had been a, a dream of mine for years and years and I just hadn't done it and now we run trips there and it's one of my favorites of all of all and yeah so it was just yeah I was just following my passion and what I wanted to do and improving the website slowly along the way and getting some some key members of staff and enough money to pay them and then obviously doing the trade shows in the UK and then trying to build a database and it, it, it all happened so slowly um mm. over a number of years I mean, Yellowwood shouldn't really exist. I just didn't stop doing it. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, oh, I've got this, I've got this real amazing angle for the market that no one's seen before. <laughs> it's not at all. I just didn't stop running trips when I probably should have done. Yeah. And um, I think now I'm getting a bit more savvy and um, 
and well, savvy is the wrong word. I think I'm probably professionalizing it a bit more, hiring good people who are, are more experienced as actually travel as a business um, than I am. And, you know, I have every intention of building it into a, a successful, scalable company in that respect. Yeah. But uh, the early days was just having fun. <laughs> yeah. But to, to be fair, though, like, you know, regardless of how you, uh, just, you know, self-deprecatingly describe it, it, it's, a, you know, there's a lot of that. It's like a sort of testing phase and, you know, like product market fit and you try different things and you see if people want to do it. And yeah, if if you sort of get into this thing where you come into it early and you decide, right, this is what I've got to do and I'm going to hire 10 people to offer this thing that I do. And then you find out a year later that no one wants that thing then you're like you've got all these people there do, not doing the thing that they need to be doing so uh, you know I think it makes sense and that's you know I guess the benefit of like loving the thing that you do is that you are prepared to kind of take those if you're having fun along the way and having adventures and all that kind of thing then you don't worry too much necessarily about the, the you know the business aspect of it but um, no exactly and I think well the pandemic was and is, you know, the ultimate rug of, of, of having the business pulled from, from under my um, feet. In a way, I'm, I'm almost happy it happened. I really needed a rest. Um, I needed, because, you know, self-deprecating or, or, or not, I really was just trial and error making up as I went along. But it's exhausting. It's a lot of work. You're planning new trips. You're then publishing them on the website, you're doing sales, you're hiring people and then letting people go. If they don't really work out, you're meeting guides. And, and, you know, it was just constant, constant, constant. And I think I was just getting pretty tired. Um, so, so it's actually been a fortunate respite for me to just have some time to sit back and, and think about the bigger picture stuff, especially looking at the climate crisis and, the energy transition and realizing the impact that we can and were starting to have on the environments um, that, that we traveled in. And, you know, I wasn't sleeping at night metaphysically because of, you know, the, the carbon that we were putting out from the flights. And I was starting to make bigger decisions and saying, well, look, we should plant some trees for each client to offset that carbon and then going to Ethiopia, you know, one of the charities that, that really um, had a huge impact on me was, was the Fistula charity, which deals with women who are especially young mothers. Um, if, if they become pregnant and go through childbirth, unfortunately, if they marry very young or are forced into marriage, their bodies can't handle it. And terrible fistula holes appear in in their private parts and it only needs a, a simple um, surgery to fix that but if they don't get that surgery they can become outcast and they have horrendous health problems and mm -hmm. miserable lives and I realized you know it was we started taking clients to the fistula clinic in Addis just to educate them and um they were just start clients were starting to you know donate money to them to, to to this good cause off their own back and then i was saying well if we're doing that in ethiopia why don't we start working with charities in in every country we're going to and then we then we did and so it was just um a nice a nice way to just retrench and look at our values and and look at how we were dealing in, in each of these countries and sorry the reason i went on that 
long tangent was because you said some things are working and some things aren't working. And I think I wanted to focus on the things that we could make work better that were important to us. Yeah. But then there's also an element of diversification because there's huge civil rest at the moment, unrest in northern Ethiopia at the moment. Um, it's essentially a, a civil war with the Tigrinya people fighting against the Ethiopian government. And um, a lot of the Eritrean soldiers have come across the border and are killing civilians. And I had to send my own money there to just get our guide out and because they burnt his house down and <clears throat> had killed his father and all of his money and ID was in his house and had been burnt. And so, and, and then Iran, similarly, because of the Trump administration kicking up a lot of the, the sanctions, we can no longer travel to Iran. So some things are completely out of your control as well. So yeah. I would like to have more diversified options. So for when some places no longer become available, you know, we don't have to fall down as a business because because of the type of frontiers that we're going to. And now with the pandemic, travel is going to just be a lot more complicated, I mm-hmm. think, going, going in the net over the next couple of years. You know, it's not going to be a straight yeah. road. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think. Um, yeah, kind of having that flexibility of how you're you know, how the business grows and progresses and, you know, to your point of you see what works and what doesn't and then almost like doubling down on that, I think is a a very sound way to go about it. Because, yeah, again, like often people by, you know, their, their way or just by it kind of getting pushed down one particular route, you know, you often find you, you grow in a certain way and then it feels like you can't, you can't then take a different route. Whereas if you sort of take lots of those small, um, corrections or redirections or however you want to want to call it, it you know i think you, you sort of stay on a better a, a better path um rather than getting to a point where you think oh, i've got to make some humongous change um the in terms of the the uh, you know i think you do loads of great stuff sam from from uh from what i've read about and some obviously some of the things that you mentioned there in terms of like the charity things that you mentioned is there a particular way that you go about choosing what you do or is it just kind of in the destination you naturally come across things do you do you sort of go and hunt them hunt them down and, and search them out how, how do you approach that yeah a bit, of, a bit of both um it's funny you just when you start things when you start putting feelers out and and sort of snuck start the snowball going down the hill things fall in your lap or become attracted to you and um and that comes with you know the people that 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 we work with at Yellowwood, including our, our guides. I remember I was um, an example of that um, is I was in the Lake District at the Keswick Mountain Festival. We just had a little stand and I was giving out brochures and selling holidays there. And one of our local guides, sorry, one of our Yellowwood guides now, who's a freelance mountain guide, Caroline McGann, came up and she was chatting and she had a lot of experience hiking in Ladakh, which is the... Um, northern area of of india and it's where a lot of the tibetans fled to when when china invaded tibet so there's a lot of monasteries up there and it's one of the um few remaining um microcosms of that tibetan culture and 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 buddhism and she had done some hikes there and and done a first ascent with the british mountain team and so she said oh you know, why don't you run trips there? And I said, well, go on then, write me an itinerary. And she had local contacts. 
and they knew a local charity that they worked with called 17,000 Feet. And so we just naturally partnered with them and um, they help um, underprivileged children in the region get to school and, and have access to medical equipment. And similarly in Lebanon, I just went there and started running trips, more of a cultural tour, although I've done some, some hiking in the mountains and some snowshoeing there. It's really, really beautiful. But there's a fantastic uh, charity called Food Blessed, who they just feed people, anyone. doesn't matter who you are. If you're a Syrian refugee, if you're a middle-class Lebanese family who's just been hit by unemployment and the devaluation of the current, sorry, the inflation of their currency, which um, is getting really out of control at the moment. Uh, Lebanon's um, a very going through a very difficult time because not only did they have 15 years of civil war and then um, a lot of governmental problems and a lot of national debt, then there were the protests against the government, which caused a lot of economic um, tensions and, and hardship. Then there was the pandemic and then there was the, the bomb blast in, mm -hmm. in, in the harbour, yeah. which just devastated people's homes, smashed like half the windows in the city. And it's, it's, it's been a really, really tough time. I, I was approached by, I was supposed to take a journalist from uh, National Geographic Traveller, which is the British version of National Geographic magazine, okay. um, to Lebanon in April last year. The trip got cancelled, obviously. Um, after March, we, we had to cancel everything. Um, but they, she then approached me to write an article about Lebanon for National Geographic magazine, which I did. And yeah. it mentioned Food Blessed and the great work that, that they're doing because they're, they're needed now more than ever. And it's just raising awareness of, of these great charities and institutions. And then if people know about them, then we'll like you to donate to them. It's, yeah. it's just that simple. Yeah, nice. Um, it, yeah, it, it is obviously for us. That's been something with us launching the hundred percent stuff recently. That um, you know, I've I've kind of been looking out for, and um, yeah, it can be quite a um, out facing thing to think. Oh, I've got to go and find this and this, and and yeah, my approach has just been to sort of get moving on it and it's kind of yeah and like say I'm you know kind of interested to see how it progresses of the like the things coming to you you know once I guess you start putting a message out there that you're doing something like that then more information coming in so yeah I'm looking forward to to kind of going down that journey a bit further um yeah. you mentioned, mentioned to, to jump in it's it's very easy to make that tweak and it's such a small shift but I think it's it can make such a massive impact and it was a small shift in, I've done everything by baby steps. And like, you know, I didn't start out saying, I'm going to have this travel company and we're going to work with local charities and we're going to help to try and uh, preserve the environment we're going through and we want to plant trees. It, it didn't happen like that. It was step by step, little by little. And, you know, when you start going to, to countries, you can see where there's hardship and where there's, pressure points and then when you realize you can actually do something to actually help and and just by opening the eyes of, of the clients you're with you know people i think are more than ever they they're realizing that they can have an impact now with with globalization and and just the, the modern world that we're living in people realize that, that their choices can can have really significant 
knock-on effects, be that with the environment, be that with local communities, be that with charities. And, you know, anything that we can do to just head in the right direction with that, I think, A, I can sleep at night, and B, you're going to be more successful as a business anyway, because that's what people are increasingly demanding. Exactly. No, absolutely. I think, what you know, from our perspective, you know, it was very much of that mindset for me of, you know, how can we come up with a model that works for everyone? So you're not just kind of giving away the livelihoods of people that you work for or work with or yourself. It's like, no, this has got to help the business grow. And we're also then going to be able to have an impact. And because the business grows, we'll be able to then consistently have a bigger impact off the back of that. So, um, you know, I think for me, it was trying to come up with a model that would allow everyone in the scenario to win and it's but you know sounds very much like what you're saying Sam is yeah you 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 it, that message and those good things that you're doing and that positive impact that you're having will also benefit you by by proxy because that's what the world is recognizing that we need to do something about about yeah. all these different and, and you know I'm, I'm I'm learning all the time and I in my corporate job the last one I had before I quit was working for an um, energy consultancy so I was working for, for oil and gas companies. And at the time, I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, it's probably not doing the planet much good. But you, and I actually had to do it to really learn how bad it, the effect it was having. But, and so that was another reason for quitting. And I, it's very difficult because it's easy for us to then blame everyone and say, well, you're all wrong. I mean, you know, the car I've got now is still run on diesel. I'm, yes, I want to buy an electric car. I genuinely can't afford one at the moment. Does that make me a bad person? I think that's the wrong question to be asking it. I think we should just be acknowledging when things aren't good and then make that change. Yeah. And a, a lot of that is education and self-education. So going back to the pandemic, when that happened, I was based in London and I did what any self-respecting travel entrepreneur would do and got a one-way ticket to Costa Rica and spent five months living on the beach of, of Costa Rica just to sort of just have a rest as well and, and actually be, be go back to nature and, instead of working all the time. And Costa Rica is the poster child for global ecotourism. You, and I bring it up because you, you were talking about a model for, for, for a way that sustainable tourism can actually help improve the world. And Costa Rica has got it nailed. Um, the history of it is, 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 is absolutely fantastic. Their president, um, I forgot his, his first name now, but his surname is Figueres. When he came to power, he abolished the national army because he realized it was just a waste of money. And then he started to stabilize the country and um, encourage a lot of foreign tourists to come. And Costa Rica then became uh, a, a real hotbed for, for tourism in, in Central America. And then he started to, because he'd been a farmer, he started to, um, with the influence of some of these, it was a Scandinavian couple who first moved there, the first national park was done. And then they just started to make these governmental changes whereby tourism would come and the money would actually flow back into protecting the, the, the biodiversity and reforesting the country. I and mean, in the last 30 years, Costa Rica has literally doubled its forest cover because wow. they realized that the money is so much better spent by encouraging more wealthy tourists to come. A lot of the tourists that go there are from the States. 
to stay in the eco-lodges and the money that goes back into the economy and that goes back into preserving the natural environment raises the standard of living for the local people far, far more than just hacking down rainforest and having a cattle ranch or, or planting palm oil, which is devastating to the local environment and is actually not a very cost-effective way of making money. And, you know, and I went to Costa Rica and I was studying all of this ecotourism and these models, and I just thought, you know, we can take that model, if we could put that in Brazil at the moment of what they're doing in the Amazon rainforest, you know, and it is, especially under the pandemic, unfortunately, it is uh, a lot of it has, has gone unnoticed and there's a lot mm -hmm. of corruption and it's they're cutting down trees at a, such a scary rate and it's one of the great lungs of the earth instead of doing that if we could encourage tourism there the you know you can't change the world like that Cor costa rica has got a model that works okay yes it's very bi biodiverse region it's not going to be exactly the same for ethiopia for example but you could take a lot of the uh, same ideas and, and strategies and you can use tourism for a very, very positive force yeah. in the natural world and in the local communities as well. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that's where it can change, isn't it, as well, where it's like Costa Rica, I guess, being very, a lot of the things you're talking about there are the sort of environment environmental factors. But if you parachute that kind of thinking into other places where yeah the, the biodiversity might be different but you can put the lens on the local community and kind yeah. of how it how tourism interacts with the local communities rather than it just being a you know we go and do this and we have our guides there and you know we deliver the thing and the communities don't actually benefit from people going there like listen if people are going and exploring their you know their homes and and their kind of uh yeah their places that, that they live then they should be putting in you know it should be making that place better and and helping to helping it to thrive exactly and just i mean for us and and i would encourage anyone who who, who buys any travel product from 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 any company just make sure you're going local and you know you're using local tour guides you're staying in local businesses you're, you're eating out locally because the money just naturally then goes into the local economy and mm -hmm. You know, it's it, it makes a huge difference and the pandemic as you know a lot of people will be suffering at the moment because that that tap has been turned off so yeah. the sooner that we can get back out and start running trips again the the, the faster we can start helping those communities again yeah so, so we, we've, we've touched on the pandemic uh, a, a bit uh, outside of the pandemic what what are the biggest challenges that you've faced kind of since you since you started the business Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, um, reaching people and 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 marketing the um, the trips in in a crowded marketplace is, I mean, that's the that's, I, that's the great challenge of most businesses. Mm -hmm. I imagine just finding your clients, definitely getting bit better at it um, again through a lot of trial and error. A lot of it is again the natural snowball that I mentioned. It really does work. The more people you can scrape together and 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 launch a, a first trip in a destination, they come back. They then tell their friends. They share up their photos with us, which we can then share on social media. And then the, the snowball starts to creep down the hill, and then it it, 
it builds up speed and then the next year you do four trips into that destination and then you've got them telling four of their friends and then you've got more photos and it just it, it naturally goes down so getting started it's the hardest thing it was extremely slow now you know it's just writing a book and and like big ideas and things and talking on podcasts like this just taking any any opportunity that that comes your way and once you you get started i think you emailed me I, I, rather than me emailing you yeah yeah it's that you know whereas you know which came whereas, off the back of a podcast yeah that was where i found you yeah from exactly the whereas you know had had this been four years ago i would have probably emailed you and you'd have been like no nah, i never heard of you so it's just it's you know you have to you have to get going i honestly yeah. and that's that's half the battle won and then you have to keep going you know you keep going to the trade shows because often you'll go to someone and you sit down with them and you have a really nice conversation and you give them a brochure but their holiday's already booked for that year yeah. And then they'll probably book with you for the next year for six months down the road. So then it's a year and a half. Oh, oh, we've got a global pandemic. So it's like uh, two years. So then it's like three and a half years. I'm still yeah. waiting. Good lead, good lead time. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, have, have trade shows been a big part of it then in terms of getting the name, getting the name out there? Yes, not just in B2C, but also B2B. So... Um, as I mentioned, you know, one of our, our key guides came and met me at a trade show. I've had journalists come up and I've met them. I met a Responsible Travel at a trade show, which is a fantastic platform based down in Brighton in the UK that they syndicate our tours out for people who like to travel in a responsible way. And then people just hear about you. And so it's a lot of, it's not just the, the B2C relationships, it's the B2B relationships, which... Mm are just as important and it's just making noise and I'll go and give talks on specific countries I gave a talk on <clears throat> it was really funny I gave a talk on Ethiopia I think it was at the destinations trade and travel show which is in the uh, uh, London Olympia it's massive it's like yes yeah. it's about 30,000 people I think attending that and a lot of people come up and, and people buy buy trips off the back of it and there was an Ethiopian um, tourism student called Luam, who, who lived in London, was studying tourism at the University of Westminster. And she, you know, she's very young. She's a, she's a student. And she just came up and said, oh, I really enjoyed your talk in Ethiopia. And then she sort of, I was like, oh, thank you very much. I, I guess you're Ethiopian. And we were chit-chatting. And then she sort of followed me back to the stall. And we hand out Ethiopian coffee as a hook to, to get people to come in and sit down and eat, you know, coffee originates from the, the southwest um, jungles of Ethiopia. And it's also the national drink. They call it Bunna and it's, 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 a, it's a part of the Ethiopian experience. And it's yeah. also a great cook, hook at these trade shows because you say, oh, would you like to try some Ethiopian coffee? Who says no to free coffee? Yeah, exactly. People come and sit down and then, you know, they have a chat with you and they read a brochure. So... Luan came and she's a beautiful uh, Ethiopian girl. And then she just like stayed at the stall and was serving people coffee. And then she came back the next day in a full Ethiopian traditional dress and was doing coffee ceremony for clients. And wow. now, she, you know, she works for us. Um, and, and so you just you just meet people and uh, they, you get, they attract you along the way. But you've got you've to put yourself out there yeah. in order to, to just people see what you, you're doing.
Yeah, absolutely. Did you, you mentioned kind of PR type things there, and you've, you've obviously had some PR coverage over the over the time since you started. Is that something you've sort of actively gone gone about, or is that just opportunities like you mentioned that have popped up from a trade show or something like that? Yeah, yeah, both. Also, reaching out to journalists. We we, we take journalists on on trips, and they'll then write pieces um, for the various publications, the Telegraph, Wanderlust. Um, How have you, found, have you found those to be successful when you've done press trips? Yeah, definitely. And and then we'll often do competitions with those publications as well. So, you know, you give away a, a holiday to Ethiopia or, or wherever it is. Um, we've recently launched in uh, Spain, where I'm, where I'm now, I'm in the north of Spain, in Asturias, and we've launched in Romania to do um, some amazing cultural holidays, but then also hikes in the Carpathian mountains of Romania and here in the Picos de Europa of, of northern Spain, <clears throat> which is further west along from the Pyrenees. Beautiful little hidden, hidden gem of Europe that not many people know about, myself included, until I came here. Um, because we just wanted to have some chips a little bit closer to home for our UK clients, because I think people yeah. might be um, a little bit more more hesitant about going further afield as as international travel opens back up. Do you, um, do, you do you find as have you found you, your kind of journalistic background has helped you in that process when you've been? Now that you mentioned you obviously wrote for National Geographic, have you done any more where you've managed to kind of write things for that, or where the journalist backgrounds played into it? Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the reason I mentioned these new destinations is because we've um, we've just launched a new website and we um, are doing a couple of those mag uh, magazine competitions at the moment, one with the Travel Magazine and one with Wired for Adventure Magazine. And, you know, the travel writing that I do and the copy that we put into the itinerary, which they then share with, with their readership, yeah, it all it all it all adds to uh, getting the, the word out there, and I think <clears throat> importantly as well is you need several touch points before a client will book a trip with you. You know, it's it's very rare that they're going to read about you in a magazine and be, "Well, I'm going to go and book a trip with them immediately." You know, mm -hmm. often they will read that magazine. They might have seen you at a trade show. They'll see a photo on Facebook. That you finally they'll get something pop up on Instagram and then they'll book a holiday. So mm -hmm. often I think there's been studies done on it in sales. You need like five touch points or or whatever it is. You know, it's it's never one email, it's never one phone call, it's never one thing. It's often a combination of of, of many things. And That's... the most powerful is word of mouth still today. Yeah. Someone comes back and they've been hiking in Kyrgyzstan and they just say, honestly, you should go and do that then they probably will book that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you mentioned the, the move to Costa Rica. Um, and I, I, when we, I think it was when we were chatting previously, you mentioned you'd, you'd done some crowdfunding stuff. Can you t tell us a little bit more about the crowdfunding uh, yeah, kind so of activity, how, how you found that process in and of itself and, and why you were doing it in the first place? <laughs> So I'd, I planned to, uh, I just wanted to raise some, some money for the, the company to grow faster. You know, we'd, um, by that process of trial and error that I'd mentioned, we had sort of found a, uh, a flavor, if you like, of the type of trips that we did and just a, a system for creating an itinerary 
and then a style of having it we make these like cute little yellow maps and then we partner with a local charity and then we always have a local company that we work with and a local guide and i was like oh we can we can replicate this you know we can we can put this and, and we're starting to build up a, a good customer base because repeat business is the best business. Mm. And you, the more options you can give your, your existing client base and the more you can diversify, the more successful you're going to be as well. So um, I wanted to raise some money to, to be able to hire, you know, good people and staff and then have a bigger marketing budget. It was that simple. So I partnered with a... Um, <clears throat> with a, well, actually the reason I found it was I'd also realized that partnering with local institutions was a great way of uh, reaching the end customer as well. So in Ethiopia, I tried to um, get a coffee tour off the ground. As I mentioned, it's the origin of coffee. I had it on the website for two years. I didn't know, I didn't have a single inquiry. And I was like, why is this coffee trip not selling? And then I was like, well, you're not reaching the right people. So I partnered with the Ethiopian Coffee Company of London, got them to reach out via their database with one email shot. Boom, we had uh, uh, our first trip off the ground within a couple of weeks. And I was Amazing. like, oh, okay, this is how it works. And then I tried to do the same with a, a, a dating company called My Friend Charlie, which is a, just a, a dating company that would attract singles in, in London and some other cities in the UK. And I was like, oh, young single people, they might want to go on holiday tried to partner with them to like create a singles holiday terrible idea didn't work at all i think we got one booking after me going along to like about four of these singles events with brochures i was just like this is this is yeah but what it did do is it opened the door because i saw them uh do a crowdfunding round with a a crowd um platform called crowdcube which is based down in exeter and they raised about £86,000. And I was like, whoa, well, they can raise £86,000 and see how well we can do. And um, got in contact through, through them with the platform. And this was in January of, of last year. And um, met with them and we made a, a video to, to telling the sort of story of where we got to and we interviewed um, some of our existing clients and we had some footage from Ethiopia that I got sliced in and we just made a, a little pitch video and then I had to uh, jump through a, a huge amount of, of administration uh, and legal red tape to, to make sure it was all legitimate and verified and we had a three-year plan. And we were ready to go and then um, the pandemic came. <laughs> so I was like, ah. Oh, that's um, <clears throat> that's not really going to work. Was in Costa Rica, and then after a few months, I was. No one knew how long this was going to last, so we were ready to go. And I just said, "Well, after, you know, it took me three months to set it up. Let's just pull the trigger and see if people want to invest in us." And we did, and we raised two thousand pounds, which at the time I was aiming for a hundred. I was bitterly disappointed with. Only, and then after a couple of days and weeks uh, happened, and I was like, well, actually, in the middle of a global pandemic, raising that money um, is, is, you know, it's no small change. Pretty amazing, has, yeah. Has, been able, has allowed us to uh, build an amazing new website, especially uh, in this time, and a lot of it's sitting in the bank for, for, for marketing uh, when, when international travel yeah. returns. Yeah. But 
Um, a lot of the people who invested were existing clients. So they knew that the pandemic was, was going to last, but they'd been with us. They knew what we were trying to do and they believed in the company. And so what greater, um, you know, show of support can you have from that really? So it's quite touching. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I think, yeah, to, to go back to the, the date, yeah, the dating company link and, you know, there's someone I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember who to attribute this to, but, uh, you know, someone says that yeah, there's no failures, only successes and learnings. And yeah, that, that being one, like if you hadn't done that thing, which a lot of people would look at and say, oh, that partnership didn't work. What a waste of time. It's like, no, just that little nugget or that little thing that you happen to be following them and see what they do creates a, you know, creates an opportunity down the line. So yeah. Um, and, and who could have foreseen that, you know, who could have foreseen that me going along to some like random, it was one of them was ax throwing in, yeah. in, in West London, a singles ax throwing night. Wow. Fast forward six months would lead me to being in Costa Rica and yeah. raise money, which meant we could build a new website. It's just, just absolutely you just you don't always you just don't always know how it's going to turn out if you know yeah that. and it's so important to put yourself out there and yeah put yourself in those positions where yeah you know that obviously there, there will be things there I'm, that you've done lots of things off in the past that won't lead to anything but unless you have that attitude and you do kind of do that at scale you, you know you don't find the 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 ones that do work and, and have big impact off the back of it yeah um yeah love it the, the partnership thing as well i think is a great kind of insight it's so clever what you did with the ethiopian coffee, coffee company in particular because that's like you say the niche is such a good fit i think that's what characterizes partnerships that work particularly well is when you can find that fit bit to be very very specific um and it can you know it can still work on broader levels but you know that the, the way you to kind of team those two things up is, is yeah. Is, a, is key, a key word you just mentioned was scale. And a lot of the um, <clears throat> stories I'm telling you now are in the first person. You know, I did this and then I um, went and did that and it didn't work, but it kind of worked. But it's all, it's been a lot of me, me, me. And I'm just one person and you cannot scale a company with, with one person. We've got a small team now but imagine if we had a big team, and, mm. which we will have, and you get, um, you attract really, really experienced people, and they've got amazing connections that, again, you couldn't even dream of. So, you know, I, I want to stop this being a me, me, me story, and I want to bring a lot of really passionate people and, and experienced guides and travelers, and, and because you know, unfortunately, a lot of travel companies will have, have gone out of business yeah. in the last couple of years. There's a lot of experience. There's a lot of talent out there. There's a lot of professionals. I want to bring bring them in and, and see where their connections can lead to. Because like, it, like I've said, you know, from my experience, you just never know where it's going to lead to. And it's really exciting. Yeah. How, how have you got, what's your view of that from a team point of view, Sam? Then? Have you got what your what your plans? How will you... How will you grow it out? What kind of people will you bring in and what, you know, what will they do? Yeah, just, you know, sales, marketing, PR. We need, we need new guides as, as we launch in new destinations because um, we always use local guides, always. But when you're taking someone on a hiking trip, for example, you need a qualified mountain leader and someone who knows first aid. So, you know, as we grow as a company, we're just going to need more people. And then 
Um, one of our guides already, she's studying um, sustainability at the moment because I want that to, to play a much rather larger role in our itineraries and, and how we operate as a business. And, you know, I don't know what I don't know at the moment. And, and the way that travel is changing and, and will change in the future, I really want to have people who are very dedicated to that and are on the pulse of, of what's happening because I can't, you know, I'm, I've, if you look back on the last five years, I've learned so slowly and, and all of these changes have been incremental. I need good people and you need a team to, to, to operate. And as our client base in, increases, you need better systems in place and just the usual scaling of, of any business. And that's, yeah. that's, that's all I want to do really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, sounds, sounds good. Sounds exciting. The, the, you've, it sounds like the things you've said, there's been kind of points and whether you were kind of cognizant of it at the time or whether it's just looking back at, at different moments where you've you've made quite big changes, even if they don't necessarily feel like big changes in terms of how you do it. So again, you know, the charity kind of thing of like, that's that's quite a big change in the sense of like what you do with your business, even if the decision is just like, oh no, I'm just going to go and do that thing. Uh, or like the, yeah, you know, the going to Costa Rica and kind of thinking about sustainability and all those different kind of things that go into that. Do, do you have a kind of particular, any particular kind of approaches to like the bigger thinking to bring, you know, to kind of come up with stuff or does that just like drop into your head in the middle of the night or, you know, in the shower or all of those cliches? Well, it's a really good question, and um, I think uh, reading and and education is in, is really important. And I am not an expert in this field, but want to be and want to hire experts as well. So I mentioned one of our guides, Katia. She is actually studying this at university at the moment, and we want to then use that to 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 bring into the company and the high, new hires that we make in, in the future, they will have a lot of experience in, in this area. We also associate ourselves with partnerships. So we're part of the Tourism Declares community, which is a partnership set up by um, the founder of Much Better Adventures that can bring tourism companies together to pool our ideas of, of how to make the industry more sustainable and, and understanding that what we do can have a positive and or negative effect on on the climate and that's a that's a, a forum for learning <clears throat> excuse me but then just in, in increasing my own understanding of, of the issues we we face so i went back to costa rica the president that abolished the army and um set the the, the, the country on the course to being the poster child of ecotourism it is today his daughter is called christina figueres and she was the UN representative um, for climate change at the, and was a key architect of the 2015 Paris Agreement. So she has written an amazing book, which is available on audio book as well, called The Future We Choose, Surviving the Climate Crisis. And it is just one of the most incredible books I've ever read because, I mean, she is at the highest level of, of the movement for for. Um, the fight against climate change and this book that she's written it's it's how we can actually as a species make that 
significant changes that that we need to. And there are there's loads of podcasts from Al Gore. There's there's so much out there, and I just try and keep myself up to date. And um, and you know understanding how our world is changing and, and trying to adapt to it and be a positive influence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, sounds, sounds great. Sounds great. Um, what are some kind of personal qualities that you think have contributed to your success and getting to where you are now, Sam? Do you think there's anything in particular that has sort of, I guess, driven you, sort of supported you, helped you to, 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 to get to doing what you're doing? Um, honestly, I think the only reason I'm still here and still manage to do it is because I really love what I'm doing and I, I think that resonates with people. When I talk about the countries that we go to, when I talk about horse riding in Mongolia and staying with the local people and learning about the nomadic way of life and staying in the gurs and just being under the stars and seeing the Milky Way and it's full glory and people want that. And that I think, you know, where we have been a bit rough around the edges, especially when I started, a lot was forgiven because of just my love for travel and the you know, the wonderment of the world. And I think it's something that people share. And then that will shine through if you're genuine and you really believe in something that will resonate with a lot of people. So I think, you know, that that has been what has allowed me to continue and, and, and build the company. And everything sort of follows after that. You know, the first time you run an itinerary, it's never going to be perfect. And, you know, you get some complaints and, some people have a better time than others and it, it's rough around the edges. That that improves, of course. But then overall, if, if you do what you say you're going to do and the places you take people to are as amazing as you say they are, which they always are, well, then you're always going to have a positive, you know, overall experience. Yeah. Do you, do you have any, like, routines or habits that, you've established kind of that have helped you in running the business itself or that just like day to day you think help you function better? Well, if I did have them, they were all sort of when got flushed down the toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk before that then. Yeah. So, if, yeah. If, you know, if someone listen to this a year from now and hopefully we've all forgotten that the pandemic ever happened. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, what were you doing? I think a lot of it will be um, um, remembering those habits. I've got to, for me, it's just talking to people. It's just with clients, it's giving them a personalized service. It's, it's listening to what they're saying. It's uh, hiring really good people who really love what they're doing as well. Like Kathy, our head of operations, she'll always just call up a client and then, you know, ask them questions that the client didn't even know that they were interested in when they were booking the holiday and, just just communication is is key adventure travel you know there's a lot of moving parts to it you've got to make sure that you're selling someone something they actually want to do because um like you just get a feeling sometimes someone will, will call you and say they want to do a hike um one of our most popular hikes was in northern ethiopia which unfortunately we won't be able to return to for a, for a while 
Um, but it was very challenging, you know, physically demanding, hot to Africa. Um, we were staying outside in, in tents, but, you know, you, you, you're roughing it and you're in the elements. You need to be physically fit. And you would speak to someone and they would say, well, I've never really been hiking, but, you know, I think it could be fun. And it's like, this is not for you because yeah. you don't know what you're getting into. You know, if you've never been hiking before, you're going to really not enjoy this at all. So mm. talking to people, finding out what they want and then being honest with them as well. And that's why very early on, you know, I started it with an idealistic, oh, we're just going to do like extreme hiking adventures to... Um, off the beaten track destinations, but then I was losing so many people because I realized they couldn't do these hikes. And even if people can, they don't want to rough it. So then we started launching cultural tours, which are not physically demanding, but you still get to go and experience the, the, the culture of, of those different countries. Yeah, yeah, nice. That we've, we've almost nudged into some points around I guess, like having a personal brand with some of the things you've said, Sam, like in talk, talking on podcasts or writing articles. We haven't talked about it from the sense of like social media and things, but then you mentioned the book as well, that you're writing the book. Is, is kind of having a, a, a personal brand something that you've actively done? Or again, is that just something that's kind of happened out of necessity because you're so entwined with, with the business? Tell, tell us a bit about that. And then I guess if you can bring into that the book and the idea behind the book and kind of what you're looking to, uh, to achieve with that, that'd be good. Yeah, I think it, I, it definitely didn't, wasn't planned. Um, I think there's a personal brand, you need a story and you need a face because people are, you know, we're quite simple creatures, really. We, we a, a, a brand of a company is just an idea. And I read books of, of, of founders, you know, Johnny Bealby, who founded Wild Frontiers, he 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 read a, he wrote a couple of travel books um, before he started his company, and I was interested to read them because I I wanted to know what his personal story was. And um, the the founder of of G Adventure, he's written a, a book called The Loop Tale, which he got a forward from from the Dalai Lama. I was like, well, how can I top that with my own? Yeah. I was like, that was pretty <laughs> impressive. Um, and uh, the founder of um, Patagonia, the, the, the famous... Um, yeah, Eve Schoenard, is it? Yeah, I can never pronounce yeah. it. But Let My People Go Surfing. That's such a great name for a book, isn't it? Yeah, I've read so, that recently. Yeah, I, yeah. I myself am interested in these people because a company is, you know, it's often it is one person or a couple of people's vision. And if I'm interested, well, then I imagine other people are interested and... It was actually, you know, I'd always written um, stories and travel writings, mainly from my research trips. Um, when I did a lot of solo travel, as I said, it was the great excuse for me to go and live these boyhood dreams. And I would, I would write those down. And um, writing, ask, being asked by National Geographic to write that article gave me a huge amount of confidence because a lot of people emailed me and and called me and said they really liked it. And I was like, well, I've got, I've got 80,000 words over here <laughs> of, of, of other stuff I've written. And it just gave me the confidence to get an editor and, and, and put it together. So it, the book is a, a real intertwined journey of almost everything I've been talking about. 
but written down in in uh, the, the the form of, of travel writing. But the overall narrative was this journey that began in the Lukyu Islands of Japan um, up to up to Costa Rica, and, and the book ends in in Costa Rica, looking at and going into much more detail. And I've talked about about the models of sustainable tourism. And half the book is about Ethiopia, which um, I spent that first three months there. After I'd finished that trip, I just, I don't know why, but I remember I sat in the garden of the Taitu Hotel and just wrote and wrote and wrote 30,000 words of, of the experiences I'd have over the last three months. Wow. I don't, because I'd been reading so much at the time and I just thought, if I don't get this down now, it's lost forever. And, you know, thank, thankfully, I, I did get it all down. So the book is actually... That's the overarching narrative is that that first three months trip in Ethiopia, but each chapter is interspersed with a, a section from, from, from different travels from around the world, right. including these early trips to the jungle in Bolivia and that, that mention of the business trip in Cairo and then going on to Mongolia, Lebanon, Kyrgyzstan, Oman and, and, and all of these places. So, nice. you know, I, I think, I think there should, there's some good stuff in there. And I want to go on and, and do documentary films and um, just, you know, continue that, that passion I have for showing people these wonderful places because often you just don't know what's there. I mean, Ethiopia is a perfect example. People have just got no idea, and when they go and see the the wealth of the Christian religion, it was the second country in the world to become Christian after Armenia. They've been Christians longer than people in the West, and the beautiful food and the coffee and the jungles in the south and the mountains and the highest plateau in the south of the Berlin Mountains with the Ethiopian wolf. Like when I'm talking about it, people are like, "What? I've just got no idea." And, it's a, the world's a big place and there's so many other places to show you yeah. know you're not going to run out of, not going to run out of material <laughs> yeah no love it so when you've uh, when you've finished it Sam tell, tell me and uh, when it's out and we'll add it retrospectively into the show notes here as well so that anyone in the future who finds it they can uh, they can yeah, sure. find it um, so just coming into like the last the last couple of questions before we bring it to a close um just talk, we've, we've touched on the kind of the future of travel a little bit in terms of, you know, the things that you're doing and, and uh, you know, the sustainability angles and, and all those kind of things. I know you did you did a travel survey last May, I think it was, uh, that I, I found, I think I think on Instagram I, I saw it. How how do you, do you have a sort of brief overview of how you see, think travel, what direction you think travel will go in? What came out of the survey? Was there anything interesting in there that you kind of took that could feed into that? Well, yeah, it's the, it's, the, it's the great question of where does travel go from now? Um, and I, I definitely, I'm not going to say I've got a crystal ball and um, I have all the answers, but I definitely am seeing a change and a lot of it is linked to the, the climate crisis and global warming and people's understanding of the importance of, of sustainability and the energy transition of, of the, move, move, the move to renewable energy and it's all interlinked. You know, traveling is, you're, you're just a human being going from a culture you're familiar with into a culture you're unfamiliar with. And all of the parameters are the same in terms of the natural environment. And it's, it's just, 
I think people are becoming far more aware of the impact they have on the world around them. And I think we have to be super on point and super sensitive to, to pushing all of, nudging all of those in the right direction, be it carbon offsetting or compensating offsets, kind of become a dirty word, working with charities to support the local communities and just making sure we're doing things in an, in an ethical way and a sustainable way. And I think, and I would encourage people to demand that from their travel choices because there's a lot of us, there's a lot of us on the planet, you know, there's billions of us. And if we, a lot of us start making the right decisions and, and positive choices, that knock-on effect will happen very, 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 very quickly. Mm. And I think the, I mentioned Al Gore, he, he did a great podcast I listened to the other day and he said, you know, the sustainable revolution can happen with the, with the impact of the industrial revolution but with the speed of the digital revolution, it can happen. You get to a tipping point, and people have been talking about climate change for a long time, but we're kind of there now. And I would never say I was ahead of the curve. I'm, I'm on the curve, but at least I'm on it. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are going on that curve now at the moment. And I think the change will be very fast and very, very, very significant. Look, look how quickly the cost of um, technology for photovoltaic solar panels has dropped the price of oil has bottomed out so the renewable projects not only no longer these government subsidies they're actually more bankable no one's going to invest in a coal-fired power plant because the technology would be out of date in 10 years yeah. you're not going to get your money back so you know things are happening faster now and you know this iphone that i've got in my hands that didn't exist you know a number of years ago what will it look like in 10 years? We don't know. I definitely yeah. don't have the answers, but I want to be at the forefront of that. And if we can nudge people and ourselves in the right direction, that's what I definitely want to be doing. Yeah. And then going back to it as a business, you know, people who are listening, if they're running a travel business, you know, it's the sensible business choice. It's again, it's not this thing of kind of looking and thinking, oh, shall I do something good for the world, even though it might hold me back? It's, it's like, well, no, this is the thing that will help your business perform better consumers are expecting that like yeah the future kind of uh, desire of the consumer is only gonna fall more and awareness is only gonna fall more into that kind of category so if you're not doing it your business is likely to suffer rather than rather than vice versa um, we mentioned the founder of patagonia whose name i can't pronounce Jon eve eve Schuinard, i think it is but uh, yeah I, I won't go too gallic on it <laughs> I remember, you know, uh, often you, you, you can read a whole book and just one sentence will stay with you. And one thing he said, he said every, every, he's like almost the world's most reluctant billionaire or, or I don't know if he's billionaire, millionaire. Um, he said every, every business decision he made to be more sustainable, even if it cost money in the short term, he said it always made money in, in the long yeah. term always contributed to the company's success because yeah. that's what people want and that's why the brand's famous you know i've got a patagonia jacket and a patagonia bag because i yeah. bought into it and i bought their products yeah absolutely absolutely um and this uh sort of the last question i guess potentially ties into to that but if you were 
if you were speaking to someone who was thinking about starting a travel business now or is in the early days of running a travel business, what advice would you give to them? What are the kind of biggest lessons that you've learned from, you know, from running Yellowwood? Uh, I think my, I'm not sure if that's the, it's the answer you expect, but honestly, I'll just say I try and get some good people on board as soon as you can and try and get some good partners to work with. Because I, I, you know, I, I built it so slowly and made so many mistakes and I just kind of was headstrong and did it my own way and did it by myself. But I'm just one person and you can't grow a business or scale a business in a, in a, in a, in a decent amount of time or a reasonable amount of time with just one driving force. Get some good people on board. And I, I you know, I kick myself now. I think, God, if I'd have met Kathy years earlier or if I'd have met this guide or this marketeer, you know, yellow would probably be about 10 times the size it is now. That wasn't my own personal journey and I don't regret anything. But honestly, try and, <clears throat> try and find some like-minded people because two hands are better than one. You know, you'll, it'll, you'll just move things faster. Fantastic. Great advice. Great advice. Advice I can echo as well, whether in travel or otherwise. Yeah, it's uh, like you say, the the input from others and the support that you can get from that and turning it into something scalable is, uh, yeah, is definitely a massive, a massive advantage, but also a big challenge as well <laughs> so that comes with that. Um, Sam, listen, it's been fantastic to talk to you. There's so many useful little tidbits in there, I think, um, that hopefully people who are listening will, will find really, really useful. And listen, like your passion comes across in spades for, for what you do. Uh, I want to go to Ethiopia now, so I have to speak to you separately about that. Um, but it's, listen, it's been, it's been really good. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. To, to finish, Tell us, tell us where is the best place to, to find the business. So I guess URL of the, the website. And then if you've got anything else that you'd like to share with people who are listening, um, we've mentioned the book, obviously people, when, when can we expect the book to be out? Any, anything else along those lines? Yeah, just uh, URL is yellowwoodadventures.com. You can just Google us. We're, we're looking to uh, publish the book in, in about two months. But watch this space because when I first spoke to my editor, it was before Christmas, and I was like, oh, I think we can get it out before Christmas. She was like, okay, yeah, all right. And then she's sort of taken me down that journey, and we're, we're averaging about a chapter a week at the moment. But So, yeah, hopefully within two to three months for sure, and then we want to do like a launch in June with, with a virtual conference and a Q&A and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, follow us on, on the website all the usual social media channels and, and, and join our newsletter from our website so you can get email updates of, of the cool stuff we're doing and just, just get involved. Fantastic. Thanks very much for being on, Sam. It's been great to speak to you. And I'll, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Cheers. Do you feel inspired? Sam's passion shines through in everything that he says and I'm super excited for him as I think Yellowwood is our path for lots of success building on the foundations that Sam's put in place so far. Let me know your favourite bits on the various social channels or in the reviews on iTunes. You can also go to yellowwoodadventures.com for more information where you'll find links to the various social channels that Sam and the team are on and you can also sign up for their newsletter to stay up to date on what they're doing. 
If you go to seotravel.co.uk forward slash Sam hyphen McManus, that's S-A-M hyphen M-C-M-A-N-U-S, for all the show notes and links to the various things that Sam mentioned there. There are loads of great books and resources that he, that he mentioned, so you can look those up and, and dig into that in a bit more detail. You can also watch the video of the conversation there or visit seotravel.co.uk forward slash podcast for other episodes where you can get lots of other insight too from the other amazing guests that we've had so far. If you're a travel company looking for marketing support from people who really care about your success, then please do get in touch at seotravel.co.uk and we'd love to hear from you. You can also read about our 100% initiative there, which outlines how we give all the profit that we make from the business to educational charities, both at home and around the world. We'd love your support in spreading the word so we can help these charities as much as possible. If you enjoyed the show, it would be fantastic if you review it on iTunes and share what your favourite bits were, or subscribe to it, and it would be amazing if you could share it with at least one person you know who you think would benefit from the episode and the insight that Sam offered. I'd love to hear from you and find out about what you enjoyed so we can continue to bring more content like this your way. So please do let me know. Uh, my email is tom, T-O-M, at seotravel.co.uk and I'd love to hear from you. We've got more fantastic guests coming up in addition to the ones that we've already had that I mentioned. So please do stay tuned for future episodes. And when you do subscribe, you'll get notified whenever we release a new episode so you can be one step ahead of the game. Otherwise, Thanks so much for listening and until next time, happy travels.